Good afternoon. I'm Fiona Mountford, theatre critic of the Evening Standard, and it's my real pleasure to welcome you here on this sunny afternoon for the fourth and final one of our Talking Lear platforms. My guests this afternoon are The Fool and Kent, also known as Adrian Scarborough and Stanley Townsend. They will, I'm certain, be familiar to you from their panoply of work on stage and screen. You might perhaps have seen Adrian recently in Hedda Gabler at the Old Vic, or here in After the Dance and The Habit of Art. You might have seen Stanley in Tribes at the Royal Court, or here in Fedra and Gethsemane. They're two of the most interesting stage actors of their generation. They're wonderful in the play, and it's a real delight to have them here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so welcome. <laughs> and sorry, could we just have the house lights up just slightly, just before we start? Perhaps could we have a show of hands? I don't know if we can see. Who's seen the production already? That's quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's more than half. Good. And who has tickets to see it later on or tonight, perhaps? That's pretty much all of you. 50-50 there. Great. So thank you. Well, we'll try to make sure uh, that we don't spoil anything for you, but I suspect you might already know the ending. Um, so perhaps we can start with this. Um, what was your experience of, or indeed exposure, to King Lear before you started work on it here? Uh, did you, had you been in it before? Did you know the play well? Um, I, I, I've been in it before. Um, it was my first job, actually. I played Cornwall. Uh, I got my equity card. I used to build sets. I okay. had a set construction company called Proscenium. Why we called it that? But anyway, we did. Uh, which was terrible. It was disaster. But anyway, I was very interested in being an actor, so I thought I'd get my way in this way. So I did a deal on the set for King Lear. <laughs> <laughs> if I could play Cornwall, okay. and I got my equity card. And who was this for? Where, was, where were you giving This was in the Oscar Theatre in Dublin, directed by Chloe Gibson. That name came. Amazing. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's now a, a Sikh temple. So, <laughs> so, so life moves on. And, Adrian, had you, what was your experience? Did you build the set for the Sikh temple? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, sorry, go on. Sorry. Uh, no, uh, uh, yes, I, well, I'd come into contact with the play uh, simply because I did it at school. Um, and I'd seen lots and lots of productions of it, but I've never been in it, no. Oh, so, and had you done a lot of Shakespeare prior to this, both of you? Not an enormous amount, no. no I'm always okay. slightly daunted. Are you? Well, especially when you're standing with him and... <laughs> Stephen Boxer and Simon Russell Beale. That's okay. daunting in itself. And um, yeah, just because they've done so much. But I discovered that that was rather helpful. Okay, so maybe. <laughs> so you've done a lot of Shakespeare, Stanley? Well, I've done a bit. You know, I've done a lot over in Ireland, but this is my first, first time to do it over here. Okay. So, you know, that was quite challenging for me, you know, because I suppose for an Englishman to go to, to Dublin, um, Casey. I don't know. You just feel like you're, oh, okay, all right, I'll just keep the head down and keep going here. Yeah. So I was equally daunted. Yeah. So, but, and, and did you know each other before you were teamed up as Lear's loyal followers? No. No, no you've so. not worked no. together at all? No, we've never worked together. No. So, okay, so all new. And, and so before you went into rehearsals, did you have preconceived ideas about Kent and the Fool? Did you think, this is how I think he is, this is my take on it? Did you have strong opinions or...? Yes. What were they? <laughs> the, the f 
what a ludicrously silly part <laughs> is, is what I started off thinking. Um, and I had a couple of meetings with Sam, well, one with Sam and me, where, we where he kind of said, what do you think? And I went, never in a month of Sundays. And, uh, and then I had a meeting with him and Simon, where we kind of went, right, how on earth are we going to make this work? Um, that's not quite how it went, but, um, <laughs> but, but yes, it, 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 it has always struck me as a faintly ridiculous and ludicrous part. Yeah. And why is that? Well, because I think it's... I've only seen a couple of fools that I've been particularly convinced by. Okay. Um, I, I, a lot of the time, it, it sort of, it has a, what, what I call the woo <laughs> quality about it. Right. Which is absolute bunkum and rubbish attached to mm. it. And, um, and it was sort of our intention, really, to sort of strip all of that away. Yes. And, uh, and hopefully come up with something that was a bit more, well, A, clearer, and, uh, and with a very, very straightforward narrative, but also that the relationship between him and Leah was absolutely crystal clear and about two blokes. Really. Yes. Well, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I think one of the fool's many roles is to provide a sort of gentle buffer zone between Leah and everyone else. Leah... Gentle? Gen <laughs> OK, gentle, gentle to medium. Uh, but uh, Leah seems to be more at ease, more relaxed, when, when the fool is on stage. Yes, I think the first scene is, um, is anything but gentle, really. Uh, he bludgeons him, essentially, with, a, with, with 17 gags that are all exactly the same. In, fr in front of his loyal, most loyal followers right. and just kind of goes, you've been an idiot. You've been an idiot again and again and again and again and again. And it's the same joke. Um, he doesn't let up for the best part of 15 minutes. Right. Um, Single-handedly just kind of kicking him. Yes. Um, well, I think somebody who's given the allowance and the power to do that uh, is in a pretty powerful position. Okay, yeah. Um, that's but, sort, of, sort of where we came but from. The Fool, though, um, sorry, Stan, we'll come back to Kent in a minute, but The Fool is really, he's one of the wisest people on the stage, though, isn't he? And folly speaks wisdom, blind men see the most clearly, and Kent disguises the truth. The realm is completely disordered. Indeed, indeed. I mean, having seen, I mean, I think it's quite interesting that he's been put, that Sam has put the fool in the first scene, because he's not written into it. And I think it's very interesting for, for the fool to see what happens to Kent for telling the truth in that first scene and for being honest and straightforward. Yes. Um, and it's interesting, I think those two, the, it's very interesting that by way of contrast, that first scene that, that the fool appears in, um, he does far worse, really, than, than, than Ken does and completely gets away with it. Um, this whole idea of him being all licensed, I think, is yes. very interesting. Yeah. Um, but Lear, obviously, Lear puts up with it all. He, he doesn't, he, he likes it. He obviously he yeah. takes it all. So, so Stanley, did, did you have any preconceived ideas about Kent before you went into rehearsals? Yeah, the, most of them were wrong. Um, <laughs> who, who told yeah, you they were wrong? I, I just found out they were rubbish, <laughs> okay. really. Um, I, I thought I'd make them more politically involved. I, I thought that was a good idea. I thought that it was no coincidence 
that you know Dover is you know all down around his part of the country, and I thought you know all sorts of notions. But but with those, I was open to to want a card in the room <laughs> and adapted, and you know you came up with what we eventually come up with. I, I understand, obviously, I think we all do here, I understand that Shakespeare sometimes <coughs> excuse me, requires a suspension of disbelief, but I'm afraid I do always struggle in the case of Kent. I mean, how on earth do none of Lear's team recognise him? It's not as though he gets himself up in any particularly elaborate disguise. I mean, he sort of puts a hat on. <laughs> or am I wrong? Am he I shaved his head, poor man. But even so... Well, I mean, absolutely, it's a starting point. I mean, the guy is a good man and true and tells the truth. And he's not a great actor, you know. So, and what Will Blessham has done is he's written him profoundly disguised. So, I mean, that's an interesting idea. Um, so, yes, confronted with that problem, uh, we came up with the idea that, okay, give him as much hair as we can and then <laughs> shave it all off. Yes. <laughs> okay, what else do you do? Well, you change the accent. Yes, yes. Profoundly. And apart from that, really, and make him slightly mad yes. as the disguised character. Yes. And make him an ex-soldier because we thought that has a kind of believability then. Because you can't, he can't do a Richard III and yeah. he can't because he, that's not the nature of the man. So yes, we are asking you to suspend your disbelief, but yeah. we believe that we have gone as far as yes. we can sure. in, in offering. Yeah. And I think, you know, we play around with the idea that the fool does recognise him. Okay, yeah. And I think that helps with, the, oddly, the believability that others don't. Right. Okay. To have at least one person who looks at him and goes, all right. Who does. Okay. So again, the fool being the wisest person. Um, every time I see Lear, I'm amazed anew at, at the astonishing loyalty that the two of you, that Kent and the fool, display towards your errant leader. I mean, from Kent especially, it's brutally rejected, then heads straight back to join the retinue in disguise. What, what powers this loyalty? It's above and beyond. Or is it not above and beyond, indeed? Um, well, one of the central planks for me playing Kant was the true uh, fulfilment of the full potential of the self through the act of service. So that's a, an idea that the character expresses. Right. Um, so, you know, if you engage in that, well, then you've got to do everything you can to serve that person. And he's, you know, he says that um, Royal Lear, whom I have ever honoured as my king, loved as my father, as my master followed, as my great patron thought on in my prayers. It's his life yes. to serve this man. Yeah. There have been great times when the wheel has been going up, up the hill, hill. Yes. and they have had glory days. We don't see a lot of those glory days, no. but there have been the most fantastic of times. Okay. And now the man is reaching the end. He's, he's you know, he's, he's in, into dementia. So yes. what do you do? Yeah. You stick with him. Sure. Because not so much out of any great um, humanity, but just that's your life. That's what, yes. That's who and what you are. 
That's a lovely idea. There's been many glory days. Yeah. That's yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah. And Adrian, why is the fool so loyal? Yes, similar, similar reasons. reasons. I think that they, you know, I think that he's been in the court for a very, very long time, and that, and that they're very, you know, they're very good friends. Again, in that first scene, there's a little moment that the fool has with Cordelia after the banishment, and um, and and I think that's really profound. He says later on that the that the fool has pined away. For two days, he's just not been seen in the court um, because he, you know, he misses her terribly when she goes. And I think that, to me, that always suggested that he was around when she was very small. Right. And uh, she was. He was always. That um, she was always his favourite. Um, well, that's absolute. Uh, because he loathes Goneril with a passion. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> His yeah. hatred towards Goneril knows no bounds, really. Um, so, so yes, I, I, I think he's been a part of that family for a very long period of time. Yes. Um, and that comes with all of the emotional baggage that... Sure. Long service medals come with. <laughs> yes, long service medal. I like that idea. Yes, so neither of them are going to abandon... Lear in his time of need now. They've, they've yeah. had the glory days, fortune's turning yeah. her wheel. It's a lovely, lovely yeah. line, isn't it? Mm. Fortune turning her wheel. Um, so through, through your work here with Simon Russellby or the other members of the company and director Sam Mendes, what discoveries have you both made about the play as a whole? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think a great discovery that isn't really related to us directly, but that the Gloucester blinding scene is a torture scene and that Gloucester holds to give time for Lear to get away. I've never seen that before and I think that's wow. a genuine discovery of this production. Okay. Because um, I've always seen it, known it and heard of it as a, the blinding scene. Yes. And it's, it's actually a series of very short lines during which um, Gloucester refuses to speak, which you can just run over and get to the blinding, but in this it's held and he holds and holds and holds, and it's truly heroic. Sure. And I think that's a, I mean, I, I, I don't think I, I've made any discoveries. I've tried to do it the best I can, and yes. I've found out things, but I don't think there are anything new or original or discovered about them. Yeah. I've discovered what an almightily brilliant play it is. Right again and it, you sort of well I get to spend quite a bit of time listening in the dressing room and um, and it is huge it's completely epic and and yet the most intimate and wonderful I get to listen to the best bits as well <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, it's a joy to sit and, and hear it afresh every night because adrian said so the obviously the fool um we'll talk about we'll talk about this in a minute but the fool disappears from the action before act five so yeah. I mean, is it tough to be off stage when this monumental tragedy is hurt a sort of nice cup of tea in the crossword or are you listening or i wish <laughs> <laughs> i'm also off with michael nardoni who plays cornwall and he's dead by the interval too so <laughs> so uh he's a hard drinking scotsman and um, <laughs> yes. also plays, plays a mean guitar. 
<laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so yes, we've been, uh, he's been taking, putting me through my paces a bit. Okay, so that, that's what's happening when the tragedy, yeah. the tragedy is rumbling on off stage, and, or on stage rather. But, uh, so what's the most useful note that Sam Mendes gave you both about your characters? Was there any, or, or was it a sort of cumulative thing rather than any one insight? He put something up in rehearsals. He's a great process, fantastic, completely new to me, really. Uh, uh, found it wonderful, but he used to write, occasionally he'd write things up, and he, he it's a quote, I don't know what the play is from, but uh, by misdirection we direction find. By misdirection we direct, okay. So don't be afraid to go off down any cul-de-sac, try anything. Okay. It's completely open for him. Yes. And um, that was a fantastic note. And also, the first time you stand it up, it, it, there's a circle, everyone sits in a circle, and there's no kind of direction where the audience is. You just enact the scene right. with no orientation for stage. Mm -hmm. And that was very liberating. Sure. I mean, they're just two things. It was a fantastic process. Yeah. Was it a six week rehearsal process you had? Eight. Eight? Mm. It's yeah. long, isn't it? Absolutely no excuses. <laughs> <laughs> and Adrian, did you find any, did Sam give you any insights or was, or was there anything like that or sort of? Oh, just being in that room, really, for, for that length of time. It, 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 you're right when you say that it's cumulative. I mean, it, it so is. I started out not knowing where, where I was coming or going, really. And we also have these 30 supernumeraries. Ah, yes, yes. Who particularly for my first scene, when he comes on and does, and basically does the act, um, he, he, the, the variety show. And um, obviously in, in rehearsals without 30 supernumeraries, um, it, it, it always felt a bit bare and a bit sparse. And then when they arrived, because <laughs> they came in, it was about a fortnight, wasn't it, before when we came back after Christmas. And... Um, God, we've been doing it that long. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, it goes and we, until July, we've yeah, established. We all came back in and, and suddenly these th 30 beefcakes were sort of stood <laughs> around the room. And uh, Adonis's, um, Adonai. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a very different, so it was a very different performance <laughs> once they appeared. Um, but it's really lovely to have them there. It, it makes that first scene for the fool just so public. And, yes. And he's playing Lear off against them the whole time. Yes. He's a re he knows exactly what he's doing and he's being very, very clever and duplicitous <laughs> and smart. Um, yes. But yeah, it keeps it, li it keeps lively and fiery every night, doesn't it? It's great having them there. I've always thought that the fool gets rather short shrift in Lear. We don't see him for ages, then we're just told in one line in Act 5 that he's been hanged, and that's the end of him. But without giving too much away, and those of us who've seen the production will know, he has a rather startling death in this production. Um, what was the thinking behind that? The thinking was that... It's part, I mean, it's partly to do with Sam, in that he doesn't like anything to kind of... foof away... There has, to be, there has to be a purpose and a through line to the narrative that is crystal clear that everybody gets. I think he hates loose ends. And, and the fool's exit from the play, I don't believe is a loose end. I think, it's, uh, I, I think Shakespeare tells you everything that you need to know. 
which is basically that he becomes mute, really, throughout the course of the final two scenes. He is given less and less to say, and yes. in the end, he has no purpose in the rest of the play. Yes. So his exit from the play is actually profound, I think. And Sam wanted to demonstrate that in, in a, I don't want to say too much, well, we, we, ended, we ended up with doing something very, very dramatic and very startling and striking. And I think it, it, it works brilliantly. Mm. I mean, it splits people. Uh, some people hate it and some people don't because it's not what Shakespeare wrote. Um, and let's face it, if we did what Shakespeare wrote, um, we'd have to go back 500 years and find out for definite what, what he did actually write. Um, and I don't have a problem with it at all. I'd still like to do... I have this theory. It was just when you were saying then about um, when a great wheel runs down a hill and, you, and, and the line that follows it, that is... Um, but the great one that goes up the hill, let him draw the after. And it, stri it strikes me that, that that could also refer to a future in the fool's head, which is basically, I think there's a turning point at that moment for him in the play, which I've never seen performed, which is that he makes a decision at that point to start looking about for other employment. And that actually he's quite a mercenary sod when it comes to getting work. But all fools in Shakespeare are quite mercenary, aren't they? They are. They, they are, they, are they, want their, they want their money. Yeah, and I quite like the idea, well, I wanted, I, and we talked about it for a while, I quite like the idea, at the end of that scene, there is the line, help which we've cut, help bear thy master, out when we yes. go out of the... Yes. Um, and, and, I, and the fool doesn't respond or reply. And I think it would be very interesting to play it as the moment where he goes, no, nah. <laughs> I'm out of here, I'm gone. I'd like to go now. Sure. Enough is enough. I think that would be fascinating. Anyway, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not on the cards But while you're watching what does happen tonight, <laughs> you can just bear that in mind. <laughs> um, Stanley, sometimes I th it's easy, I think, to overlook the full impact of Kent being put in the stocks because it was a very serious, not to mention painful and humiliating punishment, wasn't it? And I think we get a real sense of some suffering from you because it's how he's in the stocks for 24 hours nearly, isn't he? Is it 20? Because they say timeline, timeline, time time till midnight, remember, no. Remember. Till noon, no, till midnight, no, and all of the night, I'm paraphrasing yeah. slightly, but it's a long time in the stocks. Yeah, I mean, that's the sentence. How long the sentence is carried out is, you know, questionable because Lear and the Fool yes, arrive in and, and truncated to some degree. Um, I think the humiliation is something that we discussed a, a lot, not just for um, Kent, but particularly for Lear. Yes. And I think that's heightened by the fact that Kent is chained uh, under a statue yes. of Lear. Yes. So yes. I think that's you know quite telling. We we played around with the idea of graffiti or hanging stuff on the statue as well. We ended up not doing that. Um, it's not particularly painful. It, it's really to do with the humiliation. Yes. And and. Then uh, that humiliation perforce Lear now must act. 
Yes. He must confront. And um, oddly enough, despite the fact that Kent doesn't want to be put in the stocks and regards it as a mistake in Kent's part, um, when he does get put in the stocks, he then wants Lear yes. to do something about it. Rise now. Come on. Yes. Come on. Do something. Take back your authority. Yes. Confront. Yeah. Sure. It's, um, no, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful moment. We've talked a little bit about rehearsals, but could you give us a little insight to working with Simon Russell Beale? What's he like in a rehearsal room? Is he, is he a sort of... <laughs> Hateful. <laughs> How does, he, how does he come at the rehearsal process? Just as sort of one of the team, or is he...? He knows his blooming lines That's before <laughs> he gets to the room. <laughs> Terrifying. That's what yeah. So, day one of rehearsal, he's, oh, got, he's got it all under <laughs> yeah, his belt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, nobody else was told about that. No, you. no, I didn't. I missed that email. No, I missed that one. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I mean, he sets the bar incredibly high. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, really, yes. isn't he? Think, all right, okay, okay. That's, that's how, okay, all right, okay, I need to do loads of homework. I wish I'd done more homework before we started this <laughs> thing. So has he, does he come, okay, he's learned his lines, but does he come with a lot of research, a lot of background reading done? Or? Yeah, well, he has an encyclopedic knowledge about Shakespeare and all of his works um, anyway. Right. So that's sort of, so you're a few steps down whatever, really, aren't you? <laughs> even before he's learnt the lines. Um, it's just that he's so damn nice. <laughs> I wouldn't mind if he was hateful, but he's just so lovely. <laughs> I, must, I did the, the first Talking Lear platform with the three daughters and we were just waiting, it was in the shed and we were waiting just in a little sort of cupboard almost to go on and he, he came on to say good luck, came in to say good luck to um, Kate, Anna and Olivia and they leapt up as one and went daddy. It was a, it was a, it was a lovely moment. His absence <laughs> this afternoon has been noted. <laughs> he could be lurking yeah. in the dark somewhere, we don't know, we don't know. Um, Simon indeed points out, there's a really fascinating essay in the programme, a discussion between Sam and Simon, it's well worth reading, but, but Simon points out that no less than five characters in the play, there's Lear himself, Cordelia, Gloucester, Edgar and Kent, have everything taken away from them and have to start all over again. They have to reinvent themselves. What do that, that's an astonishing number of people, isn't it? What do you make of, of that, Stanley? Because you are obviously one of the five who's starting from zero. Well, uh, yeah, he is starting from zero, but he, 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 he determines to uh, pursue his purpose, his singular purpose. So, you know, it, it's, he is, it's extraordinary. He starts again. He also puts his life on the line when he re-enters the fray. You know, his sentence is that if Lear sees him, yeah. he will be put to death. Yes. So those are the stakes for Kent. But do we believe that? Do you do believe? We, do we believe that Lear really would? I don't think there's any question. No. Okay. There's no question in my mind, okay. anyway, okay. playing the part. Right. Um, certainly, those are the stakes. Sure. Whether you believe he would do it or not. I certainly, going into the room, believe he would do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and so, the peril of... I just think it's more dramatic if you believe that he yes, would. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So that's the kind of key, really, isn't it? Um, and, uh, oddly enough, once Kent 
um, as Caius gets into service, well, then he's just there where he always was. So, yes, he's lost any of the kind of status or paraphernalia of office, but so long as Kent can serve, then I don't think he's really interested in money and and status and and all those sorts of things. No, (laughs) not really. He's, yeah, he's, do, he's doing what he's always... He's kind he's of doing what he does. He's doing what he is. That's interesting. Not what he does, what he is. Yeah. And do you think, is the fool doing what he is? Or are you, because you were saying you think the fool, he might have left at one point. He, he's not what he is, serving Leah? Yeah, sure. Well, it changes moment to moment, I think, throughout the course of it. Um, That's, I mean, the scene that follows directly after, well, uh, Act 1, Scene 5, where everything gets stripped away and it is essentially just the two of them talking as old mates, sitting on suitcases waiting for a car to come. And um, I think the writing there is so spare and it's so, well, it's, it's Beckett, yes. really. And um, it's, it's the... Uh, it's, it's a very, very, I think it's a very, very beautiful moment. And it's placed after that enormous, rowdy, yes. wild scene for a very good dramatic purpose. Um, and you, you see these two old blokes, these two old muckers waiting for Godot. And, uh, and, and one of them says, I hope I don't go mad. Yes. And I think between the two of them, there's just, you know, there's everything. That, that a long-standing, loving relationship embodies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Each night, do you have any lines or particular moments in the production that are your favourites you're really looking forward to? And conversely, are there any that you're dra- you dread and you're very glad they're over each time? <laughs> Fantastic question. <laughs> These are private things. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to spoil the audience. I, I love, I love, um, vex not his ghost or let him pass. He hates him much that would upon the rack of this tough world stretch him out longer. This is just after Lear's died. And then immediately after that, I have to say one of my least favorite lines, which is, um, if I can remember it now, <laughs> the wonder is, the wonder is he hath endured so long he but usurped his life. I just cannot understand he but usurped his life. So I have the two right, right. beside each okay. other. Okay, so sure. So Adrian, do you have any? Cry to it, Nuncle, as the cockney did to the eels when she put him in the paste alive. She napped him the coxcombs with a stick and cried, Down, wantons, down. Is the most hated and loathed line <laughs> in all of Shakespeare. <laughs> um, Why is that? It, because it's meaningless babble to an audience today, <laughs> and it's incre- and I fought for it. What that's what I, that's what makes me so cross about it. I stood in the rehearsal room and fought and fought and fought for it to stay in. Oh, no. And as soon as I got to perform it, I kind of went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, can't just skip over it. <laughs> I wish I could now. <laughs> there was another bit, there's another bit to it which, which follows it. Uh, Twas her brother who in pure kindness to his horse buttered his hay. And I wanted that as well. And <laughs> Sam in the end just went, please cut it, please. <laughs> just said, I can't make head and a tail of it. The whole scene just grinds to a halt because he's saying this nonsense, um, which it isn't, of course. It's not nonsense at all. Um, and it's very, uh, uh, and it is 
if, 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 you've got, if you've got a couple of minutes to ruminate on it, it's brilliant and it really is very clever and classy. But for a modern day audience, yeah. it's just, it really is impenetrable and it's very, very, it does hold up a scene. You can feel, you can feel everything kind of going clunk <laughs> onto the floor while everybody goes, there wasn't any captions explaining. Yeah, exactly. And the joke is. And Simon then has to, you know, <laughs> pick the damn thing off the floor again and start running. Um, so yeah, we, we did a couple of judicious cuts. There's not many, but we did do a couple. One of my very favourite lines in the play is when Kent is called an ancient ruffian. I do think that's lovely. Do you do you like being called an ancient ruffian? Is that? Or does it? I don't know. I mean, it, it's quite. Good, because I'm at an age where, no, I'm not old, actually. <laughs> so it's quite stimulating. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good, works for the provokes scene. Provokes you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what difference does it make to play Shakespeare in modern dress? Does it make a difference? Have well, I suppose one of the things that exercised us with modern dress was the whole ritual of fighting and swords and how all that works and we've kind of come up with knives as mm. a substitute for swords. Uh, Kent carries uh, the, the blade, the bayonet blade. So uh, that was one kind of just very direct, practical consideration yes. that arrives because of the convention of, of the time uh, that doesn't really exist um, nowadays. Other than that, not really. I mean, it's maybe, you know, you can be slightly more natural because you don't have the social uh, rules of dress and, and yes. how you hold yourself or whatever, so that makes it slightly more accessible yes. as a player. Um, but other than that, the people are the people and you know, nothing changes. So when you did your Cornwall, when you built the set and you did your Cornwall back in Dublin, was it modern dress? Oh, no, it was... It uh, was roughy yeah. and roughs and all that, yeah. The whole thing. Did they play green sleeves? <laughs> <laughs> was there a lute? Not that I remember. Mm -hmm. Down, I think, as we all know, down the centuries, there have been many attempts to rewrite King Lear to give it a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> Would it have been better if Shakespeare had let goodness triumph and let Cordelia marry Edgar and go on to rule over a reunited kingdom with benign Uncle Kent looking on? I think it's lacking two things. Musical numbers. There, aren't, there simply aren't enough. <laughs> and, and where's Mama Leah? Where's Mama Leah? Mama okay. Leah. That would be... There you are. Great musical. Great musical. <laughs> <laughs> Unwritable musicals of our time. Mama Mama Lea. Lea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you could say, well, quite a few people meet their Waterloo, don't they? Oh, so just, very good, yes. Oh. Um, so, but less impact if it had ended happily. Beg your pardon? Less impact if it had ended happily. Yeah, I mean, I think the fourth act, there is some hope. But then he writes this fifth act, which is like, he just writes it and he says, stage that. You know, and you go, how can you possibly stage that? Yes. And he just demolishes any kind of hope or redemption, really. Yeah. But that's what he's at. Yeah. You know. Brilliant. But is that the ultimate catharsis then? Is you say it's brilliant? Is that, are we so sort of stripped back and 
chastened by that? Is it better like that? Yeah. Yeah. But it just, it, 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 I'm just sorry, it kind of is, is what it is, is yeah. you yeah. know. So um, there's, there's no point in it. I'm, I'm, I'm ill-equipped to, to, to kind of yeah. answer the question, really. It, that's what it is, yeah. But, I mean, this is a, a question that's preoccupied scholars and playgoers down the years, but I think we should try and answer it definitively this afternoon. What is our eternal fascination with Lear? Why do we keep coming back to this tragedy? Because we all think we might be mad. Okay. That a bit of us knows that we're mad. And... And that's a fascinating thing to continually discuss. Right. I think. I think also, you know, each, each generation, each, each time finds a different... I mean, I think one of the fascinating things for our time is people are living longer and how do you deal with a parent that still has the power? How does the parent pass? Just simply in a domestic situation, how do you hand the money over to the kids? Or, yes. and, and when you surrender that, how the kids behave, how you relate to someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's, or, yeah. that's particularly opposite for this time, I think. Of course, yes. And, and but I think that keeps happening with the play. Yeah. And there's so much in it. Yeah. And that's re relevant for any, any time, any yeah. decade, any yeah. century, isn't it? So, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm sure you're desperate. The audience got lots of questions they'd like to ask, but slightly more general. Um, Adrian, in particular, you have been in many, many plays here at the National Stanley. I know you've been in a number two. Is there something different about working at the National Theatre to working in other theatres? Is there something special about it or...? Oh, yes. Where does one start? Um, well... To, to act in this space is such a brilliant, wonderful thing. Um, I love this theatre more than any I've ever worked in. I find it the most brilliantly liberating space. Some people get really daunted by it. And for some bizarre reason, it was, it, it was the first space that I played on when I came here in 1991, 1990. And um, I loved it then, and I love it even more now. It's just brilliant. So I cry out to do shows in the Olivier. That's one. But also, you know, Simon Russell Beale, Sam Mendes, Nick Heitner throwing his three epics in every now and again. <laughs> I get to be on stage with, you know, Colossus, uh, <laughs> mighty titans of the British stage. Um, it's, you're so well supported. Right. And don't underestimate eight weeks in a rehearsal room. Actors love rehearsing. They, you know, if, if rehearsals are going well, like, there wasn't a cross word really, was there, in, in the eight weeks that we were down in rehearsal room one. It was just incredible. Sure. And um, just to be able to play like yes. that is oh, thrilling. Makes your job a joy, a total sure. joy. Um, that's why I like it here. Eight, eight weeks rehearsal as well. You just don't get that anywhere else. No, that's, you know, that's pretty special, isn't really, it? Really, really wonderful. And it shows. It really shows. Um, what do you like about 
Do you have any particular? Yeah, all that. Um, but um, but also, you know, there's each of the spaces carries two or three shows, and there's three spaces. So there's a real you get to meet folk, yes. and you're part of a whole big thing. You, you really that's very special. Yeah. Um, and so you're in the canteen or whatever, and you're bumping into folk from other shows, and you get to go and see them, and they come and see you. So. There is a real uh, feeling of a gathering of players in the right. place yeah. that's very special, yeah. which I've not experienced anywhere else, really. Um, you get time off. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> time. <laughs> time but off. You get, you're in the theatre, and you get six days off. And you're in the theatre, <laughs> which is you know, my primary love. Uh, so to be playing in a play, to have a holiday and yes. come back to the company. Yeah. If you're off for six or seven days, we do what we call a bring back call, where you sit in one of the rehearsal rooms and you run the lines. But that meeting, again, after having been away, yeah. and when the company meets again, it's a rare and special thing. Yeah, that's... Uh, you run the lines and you get gad about and you forget lines and you're back into it. And you're, oh God, and you're off again and then you do it that night or that afternoon or whatever. And it's... Um, <laughs> It's a rare privilege. Sure. Look, there's so very much more we could talk about here, but I'm afraid we are going to have to wrap things up now. All that remains for me to do is to thank you all very much for coming, and of yeah. course to thank our guests, Adrian Scarborough and Stanley Townsend. Thank you.